0: Hi, I'm Paul Jay. Welcome to TheAnalysis.News. In a few seconds, I'll be talking to Greg Gaudels about his article, uh, as, whose title is, If you're asking whether Russia is imperialist, you're asking the wrong question. Uh, please don't forget, there's a donate button, a subscribe button, a share button, all the rest. But the most important is come to the website. Uh, maybe you'll hit, click donate, but most importantly, get onto the email list. Be back in just a few seconds. In his recent article titled, Is Russia an Imperialist Country? That's not the right question to ask. Greg Godels writes, As Lenin warns, the attempt to separate imperialism from its capitalist roots destines anti-imperialism to ineffectuality, petty bourgeois reformism. Moralistic anti-imperialism, what Lenin calls the last Mohicans of bourgeois democracy, end quote, collapses into pacifism, a posture good for the soul, but impotent against the schemes of the great powers. Greg then writes, Today's leftist celebration of a projected multipolar capitalist world is a further attempt to separate great power rivalries from their roots in capitalist, specifically monopoly interests. Multipolarity was a feature of imperialism in the prelude to World War I. Further down, Greg writes, Lenin leaves no doubt that a country, in brackets, Tsarist Russia, can be a big player in the imperialist scramble for colonies, in brackets, or spheres of influence, close brackets, while remaining a less than robust capitalist country with remnants or foretells of other non capitalist economic formations. In other words, their place in the imperialist system is not strictly determined by their place in the capitalist hierarchy. They can be a bright, young capitalist star or a decadent old star clinging to a brilliant past while still playing a decisive role in the empire games. Now joining us is Greg Gattles. He's a Pittsburgh-based writer who comments on current events, political economy, and left politics from a Marxist-Leninist perspective. His commentaries have appeared in The People's Weekly World, Political Affairs, The Morning Star, People's Voice. So welcome, Greg.
1: Thank you, Paul. It's It's a pleasure.
0: Okay, so Greg, there's a major disagreement in the global left over the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I think it boils down to how one assesses just what the greatest danger is to humanity at this stage of world history. In that sense, we must always keep in mind the danger of nuclear war and the climate crisis. If it is U.S. imperialism, then almost all political forces opposed to U.S. hegemony are, broadly speaking, in the anti U.S. imperialist camp. In other words, a multipolaristic global order. Is a good thing, and thus the Russian invasion is at the very least forgivable, and to some, even desirable. So, what do you make of the argument?
1: Yeah, look, uh, the argument is flawed. It's flawed because, of course, U.S. imperialism is at the top of the pyramid. It's the it's the most powerful pyramid, uh, imperialist power in the world. Uh, no one can really rival it at this time. But it doesn't follow that there are not other imperialist powers very powerful powers that are vying for that same uh, that same position and it doesn't follow that if in fact those powers say side with venezuela or they side with syria or they side with some other uh, socialist or progressive countries that that they are not imperialist in fact they may have a very strong imperialist interest in doing that so so the argument is flawed it's 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 just wrong when when you when you look at when you look at today's events I think it's useful to find a historical parallel. That's what good historians do, and it's certainly what good Marxists do. And I think the most uh, telling um, uh, parallel, the most uh, telling historical analogy would be the uh, lead-up to World War I, in which Lenin, for example, was writing about the great powers. There were six mega powers at that time. Britain was at the top of the pyramid, and it was the competition between them. The competition for colonies at that time, for raw materials and so forth, that competition led to World War One. So my concern, of course, in writing this is that what's going on today, the rivalry between Russia as a, an imperialist power, it's a capitalist country and it's got imperial interests, and the United States is being played out in the Ukraine. And I think what Russia is doing essentially is it's mimicking U.S. policy over the last couple of decades. You know, I'm sure your, uh, your readers, your, your, uh, your followers are familiar with Samantha Power and the, the doctrine of, um, of humanitarian interventionism, which we concocted as a, as a uh, justification for intervening in other countries. I think Putin is doing exactly that. He sees the concerns, the interest of the Russian-speaking people in the East of Ukraine as something that he can then use and utilize because they are being they are being attacked by uh, the Ukrainian government as an excuse to invade, and that's what I see the uh, invasion so that's my view
0: so so talk about the more sort of systemic argument Lenin made and how that applies to today
1: yeah, first of all, Lenin located imperialism and capitalism and when when you talk about multipolarity, when you talk about multipolarity, in a conversation that the left is having, they're hailing the fact the the U.S. is not an ascending imperialist power, but it appears to be perhaps a descending imperialist power, and they hail that and they see that as uh, a good thing, which it is a good thing, but they see the rise of other imperialist powers or other powers that have imperial interest as necessarily a good thing. If we have a multipolar world, that's a good thing. But stop for a moment and return to the, the lead up to World War I. Again, you had the same kind of rivalries. You had the same kind of, of, of uh, attempt to rise to the top and challenge the British Empire. And what did it lead to? It led to World War One. It tragically led to World War I. And if you know the history, you know that it was something as simple as an assassination in the Balkans. It was something as simple as uh, Serbian nationalism. Uh, it was something as simple as the Austro-Hungarian Empire responding to that, Germany being drugged into that because of their alliance with the, um, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Tsar having a, a, a relationship with um, uh, Serbia and rushing in to fill the, the, the breach that led to a, a war that, that led to the, the death of 20 million people. So that's my great fear. That's what I see as the parallel, and that's why I'm very concerned about one issue and one issue alone, and that is stopping this war. Um, because of Ukrainian nationalism, the anti-war movement has been essentially disarmed. You look around, you see rallies for glory to Ukraine. You see rallies, uh, and, and the, the left is afraid to align with those people because they know that they're right-wing nationalists. So you have virtually no movement in this country to stop the war. In Europe, you find in Greece, for example, with the uh, Greek trade unions, the Communist Party of Greece, massive demonstrations. The stoppage through periods through the port of NATO weapons to Ukraine. These are the kind of actions that Lenin envisioned before World War I. These are the kind of actions that Lenin spoke to the working class and said, that's what you need to be doing. Stop the war, stop the bleeding. The losers, of course, are working people. They're little people. They're the losers in all of this. They're dying. The Russians are dying. The Ukrainians are dying. And hopefully, no, no others will be dying outside of that. But that's, the, unfortunately, the direction things are leading to.
0: Okay. Well, before we get more into the sort of systemic analysis, let me just pick up on something you just said. Uh, Ukrainian socialists, activists that I've, I've talked to, uh, while they're against Ukraine being in NATO, They are against there even being a NATO, but they they argue that there's no other way to fight the Russian invasion other than taking arms from NATO. So, you know, while they understand people outside not wanting to advocate for NATO in any way, uh, they don't want people to say close down the arms, Uh, and uh, because there isn't an equivalent action taking place in terms of Russian arms. Uh,
1: well, you know, you, you can't you can't base it upon what other people are gonna do. They have to do the best they can. I mean the left in, in the Ukraine is being suppressed. It's it's notorious. The Communist Party in Ukraine is outlawed. Uh Zelensky outlawed eleven opposition parties. There are really no active opposition parties in Ukraine today. Um, I know uh, the left tends to blow this up, but there is a strong ultra right nationalist movement in Ukraine. A, really reprehensible one that takes its its whole uh, raison d'etre from uh, Stepan Bandera, who was a criminal, who was a Nazi collaborator. So there is that problem. When Lenin wrote about, I mean, Lenin wrote in 1916, the war had already started when he wrote imperialism. But what he's saying is reflecting on what the left should have done. And unfortunately, the entire European left, in its entirety, with the exception of Rosa Luxemburg and a handful of other German uh, Marxists, and, uh, and and Lenin's party, all sided with their nations. And it led to the, the bloodiest war the world had ever seen to that date. And so that can't be stopped. That war has started, Russia started it, it was ill-advised, it was stupid. I mean, what his thinking was, like you and others, I'm sure I was caught off guard and expect him to do this. However, that war has started now. What can we do to stop it? I think that's the question that, Anyone you have on your show must be asked. It's, not, it's pointless to go back and say, who started it? You know, why did it start? At this stage, that's behind us. How do we stop it? And we stop it well, by... Well, I think, well, I think,
0: well, let me say, I, I think it, it is by, important I mean, to get into how and why it started because it does get into how do you assess uh, what Russia did, this whole question of imperialism. But just to take up this question, first of all, how does it end? I mean, first and foremost, I would say the pressure has to be put on the Americans to declare, and the Ukrainians to declare, they're not going to be part of NATO. Get that off the table. And it should have been off the table before the invasion, because it's clear Ukraine isn't going to be allowed into NATO anyway.
1: Well, an armistice would be appropriate at this particular juncture. That's what everyone on the left should be advocating, is an armistice. Uh, uh, lock it in place and stop it, and then negotiate. I mean, that's that's we're looking at World War One. That's what we ended up with after 20 million were dead. We don't want to get to that point. So uh, our left can only deal with this country. We we too often talk to people and tell them what they should do in their country, what the Ukrainians should do, what the Russians should do. If if I had my hope, the Ukrainian left, what little of it is left, that's, that's allowed to act. Would be trying to stop the war. Would be saying, "Let's get an armistice. Let's negotiate." They'd be pressing their government to negotiate. Uh, that's what they'd be doing. The Russian left should be doing that. Stop the war in its place. Negotiate. Let's get this the bloodshed over. And what we should be doing is just saying the same thing. And that includes no armament. Don't arm. Don't don't arm the belligerents. And so you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you gotta. You, you know, uh, history will ask. Who started it? Just as we know in Sarajevo, it started with an assassin. But in the end, how much did that matter? In the end, 20 million were dead. What did it really matter? Who started it? What, what mattered was the people who, who fought the war had the least to gain from it. What, 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 what created the war was the arrogance of elites, of great powers, and that had nothing to do with the people that lived in those countries and fought those wars and died. And I think that's the way we have to look at it today. Again, that's why I think the question you have to ask people, of course you'll have the discussion. Of course you'll have the discussion of how did it start and who was at fault and how do you weigh that. But that discussion should end and people should say, what are we going to do to stop this war? I think that's the position the left must take. And again, you can see it. Go in the streets. Uh, Two weeks before the war started, I was out with 12 people holding signs saying, no war in Ukraine. The liberal left didn't join that demonstration. Most of the radical Okay, let, left. Me, let,
0: me, let me make an argument that these Ukrainians left are making to me. And, I, sure. I, and I'm still making up my mind about these things. Yeah. But here's the argument they're making. Here's what they're making. Why are you sure. treating so all- what they're calling essentially a Ukrainian national liberation struggle against what they call Russian imperialism, and they say U.S. imperialism because they want an independent Ukraine, but right now, it's the Russians who are actually invading, not, not the U.S., although I, I certainly agree with the argument that the Americans helped provoke all of this. Um, but that said, why did you not sure. call for no arming of the Vietnamese or the, any of the other national liberation struggles in the past? Nobody, nobody on the left that supported the national liberation struggles said, don't arm these struggles in order to help end the war. And, and these Ukrainians are saying, why are you saying that about us?
1: right- Right, right. And, and, and that was a national liberation struggle. Um, this battle in the Ukraine is not a national liberation well, struggle. Well, they say it's, it is. They
0: say the Russians are trying to essentially dis- extinguish the Ukrainian nation. And I'm talking about the left, not the, not the right. And, and no doubt much of this struggle against the Russians is led by the Ukrainian right-wing oligarchs and the Nazis are out in the field. Uh, but they're not certainly the only ones the Ukrainian leftists are making the argument to me that this is also a pe- a people's opposition this,
1: yeah that once you invade a country, once you invade a country let's suppose let's just suppose that in in Donbass that most of the people russian speaking did want to ally with Russia. but Putin uh, stupidly starts a war. And then the Russian army is on their soil and and disrupting their lives. uh, The the number of people that are chased out of uh, Ukraine that are trying to just stay alive, uh, internal migrants, external migrants. It's incredible. It's ugly. And so, of course, they're rallying now around Ukraine. I understand that. But but when we look at how we can stop this, we're going to have to go beyond the blame game. We're going to have to go beyond uh, deciding who's bad and who's good and stopping the war. And stopping the war, that's what we must do. And it's, uh, you know, it's, that's where we are today is it's a death-dealing war. It looks as though, would you agree, Paul, it looks as though as of today, probably the Russians are going to take the Donbass and they're going to stop. I mean, obviously, it looks as though they were stopped in Kiev, but it looks like they're going to take the Donbass. They're going to have what they claim is their goal at this particular time.
0: Well, I, well okay. I'm going to argue your thesis back to you, which is, which is this is a, this is a, a contradiction between a, a more powerful imperialism and what some people are calling a sub-imperialism. And certainly the more powerful imperialism, the United States, and, and, and to a large extent its European allies, although not quite as much, uh, yeah. they, I think, probably want this war to go on a long time. I think they want to weaken and bleed... The Russians as much as possible. They didn't expect this invasion, I don't think, even though they kept saying it was going to happen. I think they were somewhat surprised it actually did. Uh, Everyone seems to have been surprised. They think they have their foot on Putin's neck now, and and these are the people who slaughtered perhaps a million people in Iraq. They're not adverse to civilian deaths. So how many Ukrainians died does not uh, do the Americans' mind very much. you know, once you've defined something as collateral damage, you can forget about it. And, and, and that's been the case since the firebombing of Japan, the nuclear bombing of Japan, the firebombing of Hamburg. Uh, the, the American war machine does not mind killing civilians. This is right ingrained. But the same thing goes for the Russians. Russians exactly the same thing. They didn't mind killing thousands and thousands of people in Chechnya, and the, they obviously don't mind killing lots of people in the Ukraine. Yes. Uh, all that being that being said, um, I don't know if this. Yes, I don't. I think he should and probably will take Donbass, uh, defend this land corridor to Crimea, defend Crimea, and call it a day. Now the thing is, is I don't know that the Americans will even allow the Ukrainians, and I don't know if to, to accept that as an end and on the other and and, and there's uh, in terms of the Ukrainian oligarchy the pro-western Ukrainian oligarchy they're making a lot of money out of all this just all this tons of money and weapons pouring into Ukraine i am sure they're getting what does the mafia call it a taste uh, of, of all that inflow of money and of course the arms company in the us and other places primarily us are, are making a total killing out of all this um, and, and but on the russian side um, the, the, I think I saw the number. Thirty percent of Russian industrial jobs are in the military industrial sector, uh, and of course the fossil fuel prices are through the roof. Um, I, I, I don't see a logic for the invasion in the first place, uh, and defense of Donbas. Uh, I, I, you know, they keep saying I've heard I hear three numbers about how many Ukrainian troops were massing to invade Donbas. Uh, the head of the Russian Communist Party says it was 150,000 Ukrainian troops were about to invade. Uh, uh, Lavrov says 120,000 Ukrainian troops were a- about to attack Donbas, And now the number being thrown around by people defending the Russian invasion is 60,000 Ukrainian troops. So I, I don't know, in fact, anywhere, because the, mon- the actual monitors, the OSCE monitors, I can't find a report from them. And, and if viewers, if you've got such a report, send it to me. But the data on how many people in Donbass were actually killed by Ukrainian army between 2018 till the end of 2021, just before all this began, was 310 people in the entire period killed by Ukrainian armed forces of civilians in Donbass. So I, I don't, you know, I'm, as i say i'm quite happy to change my mind on all this i'm just looking at the data that's available it did not does not seem no. there was an imminent no. threat no. to donbass which leaves which leaves you with that 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 putin mm-hmm. had imperial designs believed that he could do this as a, as another crimea and yeah the 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 ultimate objective probably was uh donbass, you know the donbass region uh, land quarter to Crimea, Crimea. Th- this, this probably was the the real objective. I don't know that it ends there, because as I say, I don't know the Americans and the Ukrainian oligarchy well, you're, you're, will you're let right. it and, end.
1: and you there. want to grab some people on the left and shake them and say, look, your thinking is still 20th century thinking. You're still thinking as though the Soviet Union exists. You're still thinking as though there's a Cold War going on, that there's these two poles out there one is socialist and one of them is capitalist. And you're thinking that way, and you've got to go back to great power thinking. You're exactly right. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Russia operates like a great power. And I, I, you cited, you mentioned that little piece in my article in which I talked about Russia in 1914 as being kind of a tin-pot capitalist country, yet it was a great power operating in the imperialist system. And we again have an imperialist system. It, uh, the, the kind of glue and unifying force has been up till now U.S. triumphalism the U.S. was running the show and dictating the rules of the game and Putin says well look, I know what the rules of the game are I saw them in operation I saw the U.S. goes into a country uh, into, into Yugoslavia and dismantles the country because they're saving the people they're saving the Muslims they're doing this it was all BS Okay, so he has his BS now which you've cited in the case of Ukraine but remember Ukraine is a proxy country you know let's not elevate it into what it's not Ukraine until 2014 um, before 2014 but uh, it had a a right-wing government then it had a Russia-oriented government uh, but hesitant didn't know whether to go which way and then there was a coup and then there was the the new government it doesn't have a legitimate government it doesn't represent the people of Ukraine in any way, shape, or form. You can't have a government that what eight years ago there was a coup deposing the pres then president. You can't have that government and say it's legitimate. And so what we're faced with is an awful situation.
0: Okay, but, but, but wait a sec. There seventy over seventy percent of people voted for Zelensky, including lots of people in Donbass, because he promised to have a peaceful resolution of that. Uh, now he he didn't follow through, no doubt, and he was down to something like twenty four percent in the polls. But it's, a, it's it's certainly as legitimate a government as as the American government, which is you know a total manipulation by the American uh, oligarchies. <laughs> what can you? Well, that's the standard. That's supposed to be the Democrat. Sorry, the Democratic standard, and certainly yeah, the Putin government's no more legitimate. So. All these, right. you know, all these elections of all the countries involved right. we're talking when, about are all, 19- are all, you know, mostly, mostly right. elections right. amongst and the elites so that decide who rules. The people have very little czar, to say it the when
1: you had a when you had King George in England and you had uh, uh, Wilhelm, they're all cousins, for Christ's sake, at that time. You had all these people operating. The illegitimacy of the people making decisions was apparent to everybody. Today, it's not so apparent. I think it's apparent to you. It's certainly apparent to me. But that's the reality. So you again, you have to use the the example of uh, pre World War I, the kind of classic imperialism. That's the era we're in. We're in a 21st. Century.
0: Okay. Well, let me let me give you a restate that multipolarista argument again, as one of the people that or its advocates said on a podcast I heard recently, that the world is now divided into two basic camps: the socialist countries. And he defined these as Venezuela, Nicaragua, Cuba, China. Uh, I think there were a couple. I think he included North Korea. Um, And then there's some some capitalist countries allied with that camp. And he sees Russia as allied with socialist China versus U.S. imperialism, which is the main enemy of the people of the world. And so this Mm multipolarista, multipolar... World, which has China at the sort of center of it, um, is a good thing, and and a stronger Russia is a good thing, because again, it's another pole uh, center of resistance to U.S. empire. Uh, the person I'm thinking of actually called the Russian invasion a mistaken mm-hmm. tactic, which I find yeah, to well, call the slaughter of thousands of people a mistaken tactic, that's almost almost yeah. soci- almost sociopathic. But at any rate. Um, but what? But there's a lot of people making the multipolar argument um, who, who, you know, they're not defenders of, uh, of of the Russian invasion, but they think that the U.S. NATO alliance well, is, is, is the bigger danger. Well, it is, but that danger. doesn't
1: mean that you you, you want a multi- you you view multipolarity as though a goal. I mean, it, it, U.S. is a bigger danger. We know that. I mean, it's indisputable. But it doesn't follow. Again, the logic is flawed. That, that we want a multipolar world. How can that be advantageous? It wasn't advantageous in 1914, you know, when you had uh, Germany allied with Austria-Hungary, Hungary, you had Russia allied with France, the France and, and Great Britain, you had the U.S. come in later. These were imperialist countries with their own narrow interests, but they had formed coalitions against one another and led to a massive war. People have to, uh, they have to understand that logic. They have to go read Lenin again and understand that logic. And then the notion of what, what they're fundamentally doing, Paul, what they're fundamentally failing to see is that capitalism is at the root. If you have five countries that now are vying with the United States, but they're capitalist countries and they have imperialist interests and they exercise those interests, supporting that multipolarity doesn't get you anywhere. You still have an imperialist system based upon capitalism. It's sort of like neoliberalism, you know, that I don't want to get too far afield, but in, in the political arena, people say, uh, we got to fight neoliberalism, neoliberalism is bad, neoliberalism is a form of capitalism, do away with it, you still have capitalism. And I think that's what people have lost touch with. So I argue in this that, that really uh, what what we got to do is go back to being socialist, go back to studying people like Lenin and, and seeing... How the socialist—I'm sorry—how the capitalist and the imperialist system function, and how they are—they are the same.
0: Well, p- well, part of this question, I think, comes back to something we were touching on before: what is actual solidarity, real solidarity yeah. with the Ukrainian worker? workers? Well, you—what know- does it mean? What does it mean? And 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 I'll go back to the argument. Again, this is the Ukrainian left I'm talking about. Socialists, I'm going to be interview I've interviewed a couple already, I'm going to interview another one. And a lot of these people that are, you know, supporting Russia, they hate the fact I'm I'm giving a platform for this section of the Ukrainian no. left to speak, but tough luck. These are the people that are actually in the streets dealing with a war. And and some the people attacking and critiquing right. me are sitting in front of their computers in the comfort of their houses. Um, they are saying what what too much of the left analysis is doing is removing the agency of the ukrainian working class and working people and that they and and, and the ukrainian and i would add to that the agency of the ukrainian elites cuz the ukrainian elites could have declared no nato prior to the invasion you know they, there was no they, you know they're not going to get into nato it was clear there would never have consensus amongst the nato maybe a, never maybe an exaggeration but in any foreseeable time frame france germany turkey i mean many nato countries would, prior to this invasion were not going to allow ukraine into nato for even and even if the united states was doing what they call uh, and almost NATO, by arming Ukraine to such an extent. There's still not an Article 5. And that's a big deal, as we can see now. So the Ukrainian left is saying, uh, they are saying that they are fighting Mm -hmm. uh, an imperialist aggression, and they're going to have to fight their own oligarchy. They have to do both. But right now, they have to deal with the Russian invasion, and people need to be able to support that fight. Now, if I was there, I might have... You know, if I was Ukrainian, maybe I would have said, "You know what? Instead of this armed struggle, why don't millions of us sit in the highways and block Russian tanks?" I don't know that the militarization we of things so quickly was the was the best choice. But but it's, just let me finish. But but I don't know that anyone saying that would have had any influence anyway. And two, at this point, the multipolar world's not a matter of yes. choice either. It, it exists objectively. It's a question of what kind of solidarity do we give to people who are fighting non-US. imperialism imperialisms? Because it comes up in different places. And you have somebody like yeah. Gilbert Achkar, who's a, an academic, a progressive activist in England, like he, he argues very strongly, we should actually vigorously support the arming, Not, no U, NATO troops in Ukraine, but support the arming uh, of Ukrainians fighting uh, Russian invasion. Uh, again I, i'm I'm on the fence at the moment on that exact point, but i am also quiet about it because I don't know who am I to tell Ukrainians who are fighting for their lives where they're going to get their weapons
1: and I appreciate, I appreciate your 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 uh, your thoughtfulness because we should all be thoughtful and we should hold off we, we shouldn't stomp our feet and say we know the answers. I don't think that, but we have to advocate strongly for what we feel, and you've done that. But I want to go back to something you started with, and that was the Zelensky's election. Zelensky did win seventy percent uh, of, of the election, and he did it on the popular platform you outlined that's what the Ukrainian people wanted, but they didn't get right and they didn't get because of 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 uh, the deal that Zelensky made uh, to go to NATO to go to the u s and
0: well, and, I think uh, also they didn't and, get it because the far right is so strong in Ukraine they probably would have overthrown Zelensky if he actually tried to follow but through.
1: He, he feared it. But what does that say about the country? What does it say about the country? What It says if we had an armistice in place and the Russians had to occupy the Donbas, the solution of the Donbas would occur based upon what the people in that area wanted, because if they didn't want the Russians there, they would then resist them and fight them. And we would isolate that problem to that. That's a National Liberation Front, if that's the case. Or if they're happy with it, they're happy with it. And then we, we can conclude that democratically, even though it's a through-the-back-door democracy, they have spoken about what they want. But we, we've got to allow these processes to play out. We can't we can't think here in the United States for these folks. And we can't always... We can understand why Ukrainians would want to defend their country. Put aside all their differences and say, well the Russians are there, they want to defend their country. Um, but I don't think we should we should uh, uh, aid in the escalation. Look, the Ukrainians aren't going to defeat Russia, right? Does anyone think that the Ukrainians are going to defeat Russia? Just militarily, just objectively. Well, I no. think the Americans so, are
0: talking that way because they want the war to go on forever.
1: And, and exactly, and you said it earlier, and you, and, and you couldn't be more right, that that the, the, the goal of the United States in this case is to drag this on forever. The scariest thing is that we have... A man whose faculties are being challenged daily, a man who, who's really quite old and, and, and hasn't shown a lot of insight and a lot of gumption in the past, standing between Victoria Newland, and uh, Blinken, who would push this thing forward, and Coons in the Democratic Party, who says, send troops. That's the guy that's the roadblock to, 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 to an all-out war.
0: Well, that's so what it'll
1: be. I mean, yeah, it, I mean it, it, so it, far
0: it, Biden at least has been against the uh, uh, no fly zone, which yeah, which which is yeah. something because you're right, there's a lot of forces in the US power structure that would would have a no fly zone. And uh, the danger of nuclear war couldn't be greater. Oh my god.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I think we have to prioritize our concerns and I think stopping this war in place uh, is important. Minsk Minsk too. Zelensky made a, uh, an error. Why he did it, I don't know. But he, he would not allow that to be implemented. That was a big mistake. It got the Russians all riled up. Uh, they were wrong to do what they did. We could, can't we agree on these things? Okay.
0: All right, so let's sum up here a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, I think we, sure. we mostly agree. And I think if you're talking about the moment we're in— you know, if anyone wants this war over, meaning if the Americans, if the West Europeans, but also Ukrainian government, and first and foremost Ukrainian government, the onus I think is even more on them. A declaration of no NATO, a, a, an acceptance, acknowledgement of the fact that they're not going to be retaking Donbass, uh, uh, certainly not the uh, the two areas of Lugansk and Donetsk. Uh, th- these these the, right. at least these areas have it's it seems clearly articulated that they don't want to be part of Ukraine and there should be an internationally supervised referendum what do they really want because there's also uh now reporting coming out of those regions that even though they wanted to be independent they don't support the russian invasion and i have no idea what the truth of all this is i i the, the actual what's going no, on on the know. battleground uh all you can expect is pretty well everybody's lying. And I, have no, and, yes. and I have no doubt that the Russians, I have no doubt based on as much information as one could have, the Russians are committing war crimes. I, I, I'm pretty sure the Azov Nazis are committing cr- war crimes as well. Uh, and there's nothing new about this type of fighting that war crimes war. get committed on both sides. But there also seems to be a real people's resistance uh, a, a real people's resistance to the invasion, who are anti-NATO, although they're quiet about it now. Uh, the same people, you know, who were uh, declaring Ukraine should de- should declare no NATO prior to the invasion. They're not front and center against NATO right now, because otherwise they would have no arms. But they're but they are for a progressive form of socialism. They're against. They want to nationalize. All the assets stolen by the uh, Ukrainian oligarchy as part of a post-war Ukraine. I don't think they have the power to do it, but who knows in this kind of situation, once people have been fighting like this, what they might demand, whether something really progressive emerges out of it. Uh, but, But the thing is, is the outline for a peace agreement's been clear from the day one. Uh, and and it's 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 both the Russians, the Ukraine, and the Americans, and NATO, uh, do not seem interested in a peaceful resolution.
1: At any moment, at any moment, we should judge who is willing to sit down and talk. I know uh, sometimes Putin says we don't want to talk anymore; talking's over. Well, he's wrong, we have to insist that they talk. But Zelensky's done the same thing. Well, if that's the conditions they're going to impose, I'm not going to talk to him anymore. So we need to force that on 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 both parties. We need the UN involved. The UN should be talking about peacekeeping and how we can uh, we can ensure an armistice and a peace and then guarantee that.
0: Well, you, you know, know what? One thing one thing we, to, one we, thing we, we, we could demand eat. of the American government, for whatever its our demands are worth, which doesn't seem very much, but at any no. rate, an absolute freeze in. On all arms to Ukraine in exchange for a ceasefire, and in exchange for a real negotiation. Yes, yes. Uh, but I have not heard that's a w- you just, But I've not heard you, a word of that. The Americans just want to pour more arms into Ukraine.
1: Right. I mean, you just you just did negotiating. I mean, that's what that's what negotiating is all about, and and that's where we should be, and and we should be in the streets. And I, I know it's 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 hard because, this. Uh, Pro-Ukrainian nationalism is kind of dominated the streets, you know, waving the flag and glory to well, Ukraine. Well, the anti the
0: anti-Russian yeah. mania is like the uh, isolating Russian opera singers yes. and hockey players, and I mean it's insanity. It's, it's, it's uh, as terrible. it's as bad or worse than the height of McCarthyism.
1: Uh, yeah, you you know what struck me was uh, University of Florida, supposedly an educational institute, <laughs> they had a Karl Marx study room, and they, they changed the name of it as though Karl Marx had something to do with Putin's Russia. I mean, it has nothing to do with Putin's Russia. That's the insanity of it, I it just, it's it's stunning, but but there's things we can do, and I think we should be doing, and we should put that ahead of a lot of the discussion the left is having, because it's really vitriolic, I mean, people really, as you said, old friends are, are fighting with each other. I had a conversation with a, a friend just a few days ago, and we don't see eye to eye on it, but. We got to work through that, and we got to focus on stopping this war. I mean, that's what we got to focus on. That's what we have to get to. And I'll be interested to, I will watch, you know, your interview with the Ukrainian leftists. There
0: is something that in some ways is more important, and that is avoiding nuclear war, because nuclear war ain't going to be good for Ukrainians either. And if, if, if the U.S., NATO, West Europeans, if they want to push this all the way, and, and you know those and those forces that want uh, regime change in Moscow and all the rest, if they want to create an even more desperate Russia, uh, and, and a Russia that, that feels like its very existence, and that means the existence of the, of the Russian state, because that's how those that lead that state identify their existence. Uh, as do the American elites and, and, and others. Uh, but if, it gets, if they get pushed too far into a corner here, uh, anything uh, either deliberate or accidental, so many things could trigger a, nucle- a nuclear Armageddon. and So Ukrainians, especially those you know, asking for a no-fly zone and direct NATO involvement, uh, even those that want uh, inc- a continued and increased militarization. Uh, rather than an emphasis on de-escalation, uh, be careful what you wish for, because there's no Ukrainian national liberation if there's no world. But the same thing goes for Russian uh, nationalism, American nationalism, all the goddamn horrible poisonous nationalisms. Uh, th- there won't be any, any of it. Th- th- there'll be just uh, some smoke and uh, fire. All right, thanks for joining me.
1: That point that's well said. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much. Bye-bye.